Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports with personalities, entertainers, faculty, alumni, influencers in the business in sports and media and entertainment. Uh, I'm Joe Favorito. As my co-host Tom Richardson is off cutting down trees today at his luxurious estate in Connecticut, so I'm going to be doing this one solo on our end, but certainly not solo on our guest's end. Um, and one of the topics we're going to talk about is beer and Broadway, and we're going to cover off on some of those things. But our guest today, uh, for anyone who's been around the sports business atmosphere for the last 30 years or 25 years, will know the name of Tony Ponturo. But more importantly, I think, and we're going to talk about brand reinvention, is the young people coming in sometimes don't know of the history of some of the people that they're talking to, especially the ones in the room. So that's what we're going to talk a little bit about that. So Tony Ponturo, welcome to The Cusp Show. Thanks, Joe. So let's talk about uh, looking back a little bit. We're going to do a lot of going forward, but for those who don't know, and as you know, and we've talked about this before, every passing day, there seem to be more and more of those people. Um, tell them a little bit about how you know a Villanova grad came from Jersey and became you know kind of his hand on the pulse of not just the growth of the the spirits in the beer industry, but the sports marketing industry over a period of over 30 years at Anheuser-Busch. Sure. Well, you know, I first started out as an NBC page at 30 Rock, uh, worked the first Saturday Night Live, and I I was a a young person who really wanted to get into sports and entertainment, but back then, 1976, there wasn't a clear path that there is today. Um, I had an economics degree. Um, I would go to interviews with banks or entry-level positions and corporations, and it, and it didn't sort of feel like it was me, you know. And mm -hmm. I always try to tell students that I teach is sort of follow your passion, follow your heart. Your heart. So, so that took me to NBC Page, which was really an internship, mm -hmm. which then took me to the advertising agency world and became a media buyer. So a little past um, Mad Men, but maybe not too far from right. that. And it was and, still all broadcast at that point, broadcast and radio. Well, and it was it was a simple day back then. Mm -hmm. It was three television networks, essentially, Fox. So this was 76 to 82. Mm -hmm. um, Fox didn't get really introduced until 85, and that was really with two nights of primetime, and then ultimately into sports, um, you know, before the ESPNs and the Turners. Although I, I, I can remember Ted Turner coming into our offices uh, at McCann Erickson, I actually worked on, I was actually the young Coca-Cola media buyer mm. for national TV. And Ted Turner would come around with his tobacco in his mouth and spitting the juice into a styrofoam coffee cup and saying, you know, I'm going to build this superstation and put the Braves on and have this 24-hour news network. And we were like, yeah, 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 and, yeah. Uh, and off we go. But, 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 but to me, and as we see all the new technology and new opportunities, is is don't take anything for granted, you know. And it was interesting, in those days, the three networks didn't really see cable as a competitor. It's like that's something else. Mm -hmm. Now I think they have 60% of the national, at least TV, dollar business, so they learned very quickly to mm -hmm. uh, not take someone, a new startup, for granted. Um, and then in um, January of 82, so just give, giving a little timeline, I, I interviewed for a job at the agency uh, of Anheuser-Busch uh, and, and went over to be their national sort of TV buyer. And within six months, um, I was offered a job without even interviewing 
because I my six months I guess had been an interview right and to be director of media and what I'd always need to remind myself and others is that in those days Anheuser-Busch had three brands Budweiser Michelob and Bush and Bush was actually a regional brand it wasn't wow. even national with a 24 market share and Miller Brewing was owned by Philip Morris with actually a 23 market share so mm-hmm. it was a very competitive Philip Morris was going to you know try to win the day and in those days, uh, you see how the beer cycle will change. There were many regional beers, you know, Ballantines, Rheingold, Pat, Schlitz, Schlitz yeah. uh, Olympia, mm-hmm. Old Style, on and on and on. And and so I was brought in to start what became the evolution uh, of a of a in-house agency called the Bush Media Group to take our sports marketing, which didn't exist. Mm. I was telling some folks just the other day that you need to understand that 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 I was fortunate coming into a business that was basically a blank canvas. That if you go back and look at, at games, telecast games of hockey or NBA or baseball, there were not dasher boards or in ice. Nope. There was not left field signage walls. There was not banners and stanchions, et cetera, et cetera. And so when a team would come to us, and say, uh, well, we want a million dollars to be, you know, the exclusive beer of signage and stuff. And we would do our evaluation and we'd say, well, but the value is only 500000 So we can still spend the million, but how do we create value? And the next thing we knew, we were painting the canvas, right? right. There's a wall there that's that's empty and there's dasher boards that are empty. So did you guys go to the leagues or the teams and say, we want to, because that was the way it was in the 50s and then it all stopped. So did you actually go to the leagues and say, we want to do this? And what was the reaction at that point? We, we went, we really dealt, well, we re- dealt with both. Right. Um, what, what They give you a competitive landscape. Miller Brewing had basically captured exclusively all the national TV broadcasts, the World Series, um, you know, uh, not the Super Bowl, but, but other key properties. So there were things that we... Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm. You know, there were things that we could not get in. So our CEO, August Bush III, said, start building penetration locally where, where it was an opportunity. I mean, we would go to teams and say, we want to be your only beer. And they would go, oh, let's... And I always kid and say, well, let's see how dumb they are. Okay, five minutes of time on the TV and five mm-hmm. minutes on radio and this assignment. And we, we would negotiate, but... At one point, we had 90% of every professional team in this country. Wow. You know, and, and, then, and then we're the first major advertiser on ESPN uh, with, with two different five-year deals for a million dollars a year, which gave us two 30-second commercials per hour, and that gave us the beer category. And, and we just, you know, so, so I was fortunate that... I was 30 years old at the time that they saw someone who had had, it was important to August, you know, I moved to St. Louis. I had obviously lived in New York. I shouldn't say obviously, but lived in New York working with the ad agencies. And he wanted someone, even though I was relatively young, who, who understood the national platform and the networks and had been part of that. So I had sort of been part of that community for seven years. And and we took one step at a time. Um, and um, and the next thing we knew, uh, 
you know, we were growing and the light came out in 1985 and um, we just start, we were we were empowered, which is an important part of business. He we, ne- we were never under contract at Anheuser-Busch and he would say, I'm going to empower you to do the job. Mm-hmm. And he was very hands on. Um, you know, he would ask very specific questions. Um, but as long as you maintained his trust, which is, is probably the biggest sort of word in business, trust and integrity, then you were, um, then you could work to live another day, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I was fortunate to do that for 26 years. And in that period of time, we went from that 24 market share to 50 market share. Uh, I left at the end of 08 and, and 50 beer brands. So it was, it was a wonderful time of growth. And I always talk to, to, to students or to, to other people that because I was fortunate to be there in the beginning, it wasn't as overpowering as it could have been if I had walked in in the middle or three quarters in mm-hmm. because we had built all those assets from scratch. Mm-hmm. And what happened? Well, then all, you know, unfortunately for them, but all the regional beer brands started to fall off. And then, what was it, probably in the early 2000s, you know, history repeated itself and people started to come out with micro crafts yeah. and, and, and all. The, so the regional became the craft, now the IPA. And, and, uh, and so now it's, it's sort of back to all these multiple choices uh, outside the window. But, um, but it was about, and, and Anheuser-Busch had a, had a, had a sort of a, a theme motto, if you will, which started with Adolphus Bush very early on when the company was was established in the 1850s, which was making friends of is our business. Mm. And and that really rang true because because it was a competitive business. Our goal was we're going to be your partner, but your friend and your business friend. And we want all ties selfishly to come to Anheuser-Busch. So if we came across as a true partner, we're flexible when flexibility was needed. We didn't have to take the last ounce of blood from a negotiation because you knew, and th- there are many examples, where you would get that, that ounce of blood back mm-hmm. in pints after the deal was done and throughout the process of the deal. And so as you learn that, it just kept reinforcing to really to be a good partner, you know, work hard. You know, I mean, I think our reputation became, you know, you know, they're tough, but they're fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that I think that mantra always stuck very much with us. And so that was that was uh, a, a quick ride of, of the history of, of the end of 82 to the end of 08, at, at, you know, for Anheuser-Busch. But it was, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and how the sports industry grew, the canvas got painted, the broadcast, you know, I tell young people today with the digital is that, you know, I watched cable start, then I watched internet stop and start a few times, and then it sort of established because advertisers were trying to figure out how to use it. And I think the world was trying to figure out how to use it. And then now the digital space, and now as we look at, you know, the whole entire platform, um, you know, it, uh, it you know, it's, it's got to be challenged for people in the business today because it's it's no longer one-stop shopping and mm-hmm. you, and you better understand who your consumer is, how to target and how to best communicate to them in a relevant way. 
Cool. Um, before we leave the Anheuser-Busch story, there were probably a couple of seminal moments. Super Bowl, UFC, uh, NASCAR probably being three of the big ones. What were some of the ones, either those three or, or two or three others, that when you look back say, that was kind of where the furniture got rearranged you know, in the, in the sports media marketplace? I think the first one was the 84 Olympics in mm-hmm. L.A. A lot of people... I think look at that as, as sort of uh, sort of the beginning of the 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 modern day of sports marketing. Peter Ubroff and his team. It was obviously a private enterprise. They had to raise their own capital. We our deal was ten million dollars, which seems like nothing today. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 that was sort of the first big sort of like non-broadcast. Now we ultimately supplemented it with broadcast, but um, but it was. Um, uh, the first sort of sports marketing sponsorship. I, I think in that same period of time, you know, and we, it was unique to us, we, we really established uh, the ring post and mats for all the mm-hmm. big major fights, which yeah. was sort of a, a way to look at product integration, although it'd be just the sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and what both Bob Arum and Don King realized is, is a lot of people probably thought we spent a lot of out-of-pocket for those fights, you know, whether it was, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard or Tyson or or, or, Le- or Leonard or whoever, um, but what we did was give them some cash, but use commercial conversion, media conversion to promote the fight. And they realized we can get a lot more from in, from from the people, the consumer, if the pay per views promoted. And so we'll let Anheuser Busch use five million of their of their marketing dollars to promote the fight, and we'll get $50 million in pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having the Super Bowl, you know, when we went to NBC, a, a great, wonderful head of NBC Sports, Art Watson, which certainly a lot of young people wouldn't know, but was one of the real gentlemen, and Dick Ebersole, who was there, and um, and the salespeople, which was, you know, we want to do this thing called the Bud Bowl, mm-hmm. um, where the Budweiser bottles and cans will... Uh, play the Bud Light bottles and cans. And again, we need to be the only beer. Now, there wasn't a lot of beer in the Super Bowl back in those days. So this is like 87, um, which is odd. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was $500,000 a spot, not $5 million. But, um, but they, again, I don't know why five minutes tends to be the magical number, but they said, well, you can be the only beer for five minutes. So, okay, so 10 times 500,000, that's 5 million, we'll own the day. And that became a, a big signature of our company, not only because of, of, the, of the broadcast, but the retail displays, the, the campaign theme. You know, if you really go back to what's great marketing strategy, it's how do you theme something from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. So, so that was, so the Bud Bowl went from grassroots, retail displays, end all displays, uh, to to promotions to go to the Super Bowl to a commercial to commercials that promoted it to the actual telecast and then what a lot of people may not always realize is that the residual and I know Joe you appreciate it as well as anyone the PR implication Mm -hmm. you know where people would want to write the story about um, you know okay the commercials the USA Today poll um, was um, obviously uh, recognized for many years and we would always uh, serve ourselves well with that recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you say, getting out in front of, I remember, you know, sitting down with Dana White um, mm-hmm. and when they 
they were just starting the UFC and they knew knew they needed a credible sponsor um, and uh, and we worked out a deal. And Bud was the first one, right? The first one. Yeah, we actually used Bud Light on it, and mm-hmm. yes, and we were the first one. And um, and it's funny, I, I you know, it's funny when you reflect because I remember taking him around after we did the deal to Fox and a few others, and they were like, mm, we're not really sure. Mm-hmm. You know, what three years became a whole different story. Yeah. I was gone at Anheuser-Busch at this time, but now, you know, and then, of course, selling to, to IMG. Um, but, you know, it was taking that chance. The one thing that was very uh, unique, I think, about Anheuser-Busch was that we were allowed to take chances. I remember, it, 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 you know, some, some of them aren't always wins. I remember mm-hmm. Dick Eversoll called and said, I want you to meet with Vince McMahon on the XFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Vince came, and we met, and Vince came to New York. I came up from St. Louis. Stephanie McMahon, we sat in a room, and he explained the XFL, right? And, you know, Bud Light was relatively new. We wanted something more younger, not so much irreverent, but just edgy. Well, and, 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 and you've seen it, whether it was the USFL or the initial XFL, the original plan, business plan, makes sense. Yeah. The, everyone gets lightheaded about a year in, or not even that in, and they, they want to get to zero to 100 in like overnight. And then they get off their business plan and it, and, and it craters. So my personal opinion, the XFL went from edgy to out of control mm-hmm. by, by before, in weeks. It wasn't, you know, I don't, was, yeah, yeah. you know, and so, and so now, now, you know, what, 20 years later, here, sort of, we, are again. here, here we are again. So, um, you know, and, and, and things that I'm personally proud of is, is, you know, bringing the, you know, the company again through the Olympics consistently through the world cup with FIFA. And, and, if I was giving any advice is what I've learned is you have to respectfully let your voice be heard, particularly in a big corporation, because there will be, including a CEO that is not bought into, well, why would we spend $75 over two World Cups um, to be a sponsor? And mm-hmm. so if you believe in it, and it's not just about putting, you know, pelts on the wall. It's about, well, if you're going to be a global company, um, you know, some people not outside our business think that it's like a grocery store. You can go into your grocery store and say there'll be lettuce and tomatoes and mm-hmm. carrots when I want them. Well, in sports, that's not always the case in a competitive situation. So you may say, well, now we're ready for the World Cup. And you know, it's sold out or there's already a beer category. So that luxury isn't always there. So maybe sometimes you have to investment spend maybe a year or two or five years ahead of time to be um, to be in line. And plus, we did use it in, you know, 50 countries around the world that, yes, maybe Budweiser only had a two or three market share, but it was certainly, you know, an energy. So, so the ones that you were, you sort of were like, in an odd way, David against Goliath internally, but you won. You won the argument uh, just with the right rationale and logic and perspective. Um, one one last sort of mm-hmm. side note was, uh, and I always have to be careful how I say that, but I was told, essentially with the threat of my job, um, that uh, we would never name the new 
at the time, Bush Stadium, which was the 206 Bush Stadium, because we didn't own the team anymore. A lot of people may not realize up until sort of from the mid-50s to 1995, Anheuser-Busch actually owned the Cardinals. And and Gussie Bush, who was the father of the CEO I worked for, August Bush III, saved the Cardinals from going leaving St. Louis. Mm-hmm. The St. Louis Browns had already left for Baltimore, really giving some baseball history mm-hmm. here. And and the the Cardinals were heading somewhere. Right. And so Anheuser Bush stepped in for three and a half million dollars and kept the team there. It's a good investment. Good investment. Anyway, we, we the company decided in ninety five to sell the current group of owners still own the team today um but but after being told we would never name you know i felt it wasn't it it didn't make sense it had to be bush stadium the community wanted the employees wanted and so mark lamping who was the ceo of the time with Mm -hmm. the support of bill dewitt we worked a deal i won't go into the details of the deal because it was private but it was long term um and um and Today, as most people know, it's Bush Stadium. Stadium. So um, you don't want to be stupid. And I had already been with the company 22 years, so I had some sort of equity of of, mm-hmm. of uh, credibility. Uh, but if I had uh, sort of uh, walked away with the initial direction, I guess it'd be called Enterprise Stadium today or mm-hmm. Ralston Parinas yeah. or something. So or Cardinal it, Stadium if you Car- couldn't find an owner. Exactly. So, so. so it's, you know... You know, leaving in your convictions, but most importantly, presenting those in a respectful way, not an arrogant or, you know, what do you know kind of way, because then you will be thrown out of the door the second time. Mm -hmm. So uh, you get through the beer business and start a second act, coming back to New York, literally a second act, because we'll talk about Broadway. Um, But you come back and kind of hang out your own shingle. Um, take that vast knowledge and start applying it to companies and brands. But there was a really kind of unusual twist, which, you know, you've always had an interest in theater, but um, that kind of came along, which you and I started to work on. So talk about a little bit about, you know, from Beer to Broadway and how Lombardi and two other plays and other investments that you've had came along based on the expertise that you had picked up over the years. Yeah, it... You know, when I left Anheuser Busch, InBev bought Anheuser Busch, so we were a public company, which a lot of people didn't realize. And InBev bought us for fifty-two billion in cash, bought out the shareholders, loaned from nineteen different international banks. At a time, as people will remember, '08 had the major financial yep. crash. Banks were too were not too big to fail, or Lehman Brothers and others were not too big to fail. And so, so coming. Out of Anheuser-Busch, you know, and I was in my mid-50s at the time, and I realized I had been very entrepreneurial and coming full circle to my days at NBC and like in entertainment and sports, it was like, well, you know, producing is sort of the business side of entertainment. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I will admit I didn't think of this at the time, but what I later would tell people is that Doing a show, um, and we'll introduce, because we worked on it together, Lombardi, is like, okay, I want to do a play about Vince Lombardi. That's like a new brand introduction Mm -hmm. So for the marketing experts. So it's like, okay, I want a new brand called Bud Light. Okay, what do you do? It's all the same things. You build the content. So for Lombardi, 
it's the script. And then you build, you, you get your team of directors and actors, and, and then you do all the other marketing things, PR, uh, advertising, you know, word of mouth becomes, you know. So Part, partnerships like the NFL. The NFL. Yep. And, and, and the lesson, if I can, or, or, you know, is, mm. is that how, how you conduct business. You know, because I now no longer had the $600 million a year mm-hmm. I was spending for Anheuser-Busch. It was now just little old Tony Pontoro knocking on Roger Goodell's door, who was the commissioner at the time. But I had known for 25 years and said, Roger, we'd like to do a play about Vince Lombardi. We could take that story to people who may never walk into a football stadium or watch a game, but like theater. Um, but we actually need your trademark, which mm-hmm. we know he's very respectful of, the shield, and the Lombardi Trophy. And and I always remember we, we had, and he didn't go to Yale and I didn't go to Yale, but we had breakfast at the Yale Club. And I and I always heard like, you know, what's the sound bite? You know, you see a movie like you're selling something in or a TV show. And it was like, hey, Roger, you're giving out the Lombardi Trophy, it's Super Bowl Sunday. And father, mother, son, daughter are watching, and one of the, the sons or daughters goes, Mom or Dad, who's Vince Lombardi? Yep. He goes, okay, I get it. What What's interesting is when I ultimately went down to see Steve Sable to look mm-hmm. at footage with our, with our uh, playwright, Eric Simonson, Steve Sable said, you know, man, I thought I did everything on Vince Lombardi. I never thought about doing a Broadway play. So so we get started, and then I I actually reached out to Joe, not knowing Joe sitting across from mm-hmm. me, Father Rito, that would be me. not yeah. not a, a mysterious Joe. Really talking about, I think we were talking about different kind of projects and how we could work together. And I said, well, I think we're going to do this play. Frank Kermzer was my producing partner. And he goes, well, I just happen to have gone to Fordham. Yeah. And I know a lot about... Grew up in Brooklyn. <laughs> I knew a little bit about Italians. So. Right. So it's like, yeah. okay, Kismet is here. Yeah. Um, and we then went to David Marinus, who wrote When Pride Still Mattered, mm-hmm. who actually introduced us to our ultimate playwright. And then for for theater buffs, or and now Hamilton buffs, if anyone's are there, Tommy Kale... It, his agent had called because Tommy Kale, who at that time had directed In the Heights yeah. and who was friends with Lynn Manuel, they had gone, gone to Wesley together, um, said, I also love sports. And he had grown up in Washington, was a Redskins fan. A lot of people may or may not know Lombardi's last coaching season mm-hmm. was in, in Washington with the Redskins. And, and we just uh, connected with Tommy, and Tommy became the director. And off we went. And and I think the spirit of it was a, a lot of people, and I don't disrespect this at all, sometimes need to see all 10 steps before they'll go. I'm not sure we saw all 10 steps, but we knew you sort of get confidence, you know, by doing things, you get confidence in yourself that you can do things. Yeah. And so... If, if you're a younger person and you're like, well, why am I doing this sort of small thing or mundane thing? You know, you should never be afraid of rolling up your sleeves because you build the basis of, you know, if you're building a house, it may have been nice at some point as an apprentice to actually lay the brick and build a foundation before you started, you know, putting up the walls and, mm-hmm. and whatever. So, so it was just a step by step. 
to your point, not the financial support of the NFL, but but the but the spirit support of the NFL and and ultimately promotion uh, behind it. And and then so we 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 together did this play, uh, which ran for eight months. For those who aren't big theater fans, most plays will run 12, they're generally limited runs. Mm. We were, it was the longest running drama on Broadway that year. Exactly. And, mm. you know, and we worked with some great actors, which we both become friends with. Chris Sullivan, who's now in This Is Us, and, and Dan, obviously, and Judith was nominated for a Tony. There was, and, and there were probably, there were four other people, I think, who went on to be part of the production team of Hamilton, who won Tony Awards, who were based, started kind of in this room in Lombardi. Yeah, so. yeah, because I don't, I'm, thanks for connecting that dot, because mm-hmm. I'm not sure I then connected that Tommy went on to, to, to direct, Tommy Kale went on to direct Hamilton. Hamilton, right. Um, so, and what was great about it, I mean, it, which is, again, that sort of the people side of business is, I probably, as did all of us, I, I would say, I, we did what we called talkbacks, which after mm-hmm. the show, our cast was so generous to come out and talk to the audience that wanted to stay. Um, but it was, but there was always someone interesting every night, and it was just fun to say, you know, Mr. Reed, Andy Reed, thank you for coming, or Mike Shanahan, thank you for coming, or Frank Gifford, thank you for coming. It's one. I mean, there were so Vaughan. many people. We even yeah. had. Yeah. Uh, Anna Wintour, you know, yeah. which was you know, with her sunglasses and everything, mm-hmm. um, and Tom Brady yeah. and Giselle. Um, um, I always tell this is a, a, a quick aside. So we had offered to go backstage, and at the beginning, Tom wasn't quite sure, right? And I said, I'll come. He said, but come by. So I came by. I go, yeah, we'd love to go backstage. So it, it was me, Tom Brady and Giselle, and the cast, which was five men mm-hmm. and Judith, one woman. Mm-hmm. So there's Giselle, so who's, you know, this top Brazilian model, right? Every All the guys were hanging on every word of Tom Brady, you know, because it was just like the football player, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, you know, uh, it was, it was, uh, you know, they were just uh, excited to see him. And, and it just sort of, you know, sort of the sports fan, I guess, is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to connect. It's like, was 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 bigger than life, right? Yep. Um, and so, but yeah. So then from there, we went on to do, um, which Joe was was part of in all cases, um, Magic Bird with Magic yep. Johnson and Larry Bird. And and again, you know, it's about reputation. Um, we flew out to L.A. in December when Lombardi was only three months in, and I had met Magic a little bit through the NBA uh, in their tech mm-hmm. summit. Um, and had been on some panels, and it was like, hey, we want to do this play about you and Larry and your relationship. And he said, well, let me come see Lombardi, which he did. So he said, so he could visualize it. And then they were great. And mm-hmm. then, you know, and, and I think maybe the greatest experience of that show was opening night mm-hmm. <laughs> when they came on stage and, yeah. and, and, and showed their relationship. And then we did Bronx Bombers with the Yankees and, and that history. So, it was fun to connect sport, my love of sports, the business of sports, marketing, and and maybe the most important thing is the is is the understanding and reinforcement that the relationships that you build over time. Now that you know, it's not the money talking, but the relationship talking allowed an NFL, an NBA, a Major League Baseball, a New York Yankees, all huge trademark assets to say, 
okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll, we'll trust you. And, 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 and I think to me, that's sort of the biggest lessons of those things as well as they were fun to do. Right. Yep. And in the time we have left, so in addition, you know, you've got this consulting business and, you know, you've become, um, you know, kind of a, a, a different figure in coaching young people now. So how has that evolved? Some of the other businesses that, you know, you've been around uh, working with Len Perna and Turnkey now back here at Columbia, back again for the second time. Um, what, what have been some of the experiences that you've had and the, the, the brand reinvention of yourself, you know, as you've kind of come around again and the things that you've learned from people and the lessons that you keep passing on to, to people who are now coming into the industry? The biggest thing I've learned starting with the students is that you need to listen, right, and understand, you know, how people are talking, what they're saying, what's important. Having said that, the principles of being human and the principles of business haven't changed in 100 years. And what you have to do is reinforce that. Mm -hmm. What I've learned particularly with young people, but I think this is the case even in business, is is people are looking for real. They're looking for honesty. Um, they they don't want to hear, particularly young people, well, let me tell you, you know, mm-hmm. how we did it 30 years ago. They don't want to hear that. They <laughs> want to hear the example, but but in a different kind, con- but in a context of like, mm-hmm. did you think of this? Or here's maybe a way you can look at it. Um the uh, and, and so uh, because I I've heard sometimes, you know, from students that some adjunct professors we don't want to be critical here. It's more storytelling than than teaching, mm-hmm. you know, and and they want it, they want to be taught. Same respect, a young executive, you know, wants to be taught. The biggest thing, I think, we all have to keep underlining. It's continue. I saw saw a documentary with Keith Richards, mm-hmm. and he said. You know, first of all, he was surprised he was still alive <laughs> with his life. But he said, you know, we really just keep evolving, you know, until we're six feet under. And 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 so so when, when I'm doing executive coaching for executives and then as I will start to bring this to the students, the master students, this program at Columbia, it's like, don't think you know it all. You know, because sometimes you get that that mm. perspective from an executive. It's like I know it all, or you know, it's like no, you are constantly learning all the way through. Uh, if you're op- if your mind is open, and you should be listening and observing. I think it was Peter Drucker. At least we'll give him credit for this podcast. Is mm. that um, human observation is data, mm-hmm. and in in our world today of analytics and data driven and all 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 of this, which is important. But in most things in life, it's a balance. If you tilt the scale one way too heavy than the other, but if you're not bringing the human observation in, um, you know, you can go to a sporting event and observe what's going on, what are people doing, what's exciting them, what are they doing at the concession lines, how is the parking. You can draw your own conclusion. You can do your own survey. But, but I think you said it earlier, Joe, is that it's like you. It's, to me, it's you can be a twenty-five-year-old, uh, not relevant person, or you can be a sixty-five-year-old relevant person. Right? It's how you address everything and stay flexible and be open, and that's the key. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and 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 so you know the principles of, of leadership. 
pretty simple. You're not a leader unless people want to follow you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people say, well, I'm in a position, I got a nice office, I'm the boss. It's like, no, that doesn't inspire people. Mm -hmm. So it's honesty, integrity, listening, and, 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 and making people, you know, you know, and being sort of in the trenches with mm -hmm. them, um, whether it's literally or figuratively, that they know, you know, we're all in this together. Yep. Um, and and to me, that's that. Those are the, those are quickly some of the important things mm -hmm. of, of of coaching and leadership. What um, uh, just in the recent path, and this is kind of the last question uh, before we get to our last two questions that we ask everybody, but. Um, are there things that, that you've seen in the last couple of years that have surprised you both successfully or not successfully being driven in business, whether it's, you know, you can talk ad finitum about gambling and esports, but are there any other things that you're following um, that are really kind of interesting for you, given your past, that you want to kind of watch going forward? We talked about the XFL and some other things as well. So Yeah, I, I think the... You know, in the broad sense, I'm actually going to a conference Friday to talk about continual learning and an esports conference over in Brooklyn mm -hmm. uh, tomorrow. You know, which is you know because I want to understand esports, mm -hmm. and it was actually I'll give credit to David Levy's son, you know, who's president of Turner. You know, his son was upstairs and the door was locked. He said, "What are you doing?" And he said he was watching people play esports or mm -hmm. gaming, you know, whatever the, see, even the proper terminology. Mm -hmm. I always tell people, you can tell if someone doesn't really understand sports, how they use terminology. Yeah. People probably can understand, I don't know esports that well, just in my terminology. It's like when they call it home base. Right. <laughs> but, and, and, and David's son said, well, you know, you go to a game and watch other people play. Why wouldn't I want to watch other people play mm. gaming? So... I, I think, you know, in going back to the cynics of cable and the cynics of the Internet. UFC. The UFC, um, you know, that, um, that you better you better see where this is going and understand it. I just I just saw recently, you know, m adults, 18 to 34 ratings are down 9 percent already in three games with the NFL. And so people have the opportunity to do other things. And, you know, it's not lack of enthusiasm or those same people would say no I'm an NFL fan but I, I can't give you eight hours on a Sunday right. I just can't do it and I may want to have to play eight hours on a game I mean NBA players who have all you know all this time off you know during the day before their game are playing each other you know gaming so I, I think that's that's the big thing to watch um what I would like from a from a from a career development side is I think that things are moving so fast that that the, the younger people are not getting developed as as well as they could. I mm -hmm. think it's almost like we're going to throw you in the pool and hope you can swim. And, and there's billions of dollars being spent. And I would just, you know, selfishly without preaching, like to see, you know, a better development of people to, 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 because they are being entrusted with billions of dollars and with all this stuff going on, which has really started the conversation with Len Perna over coffee with a an op-ed. I never write. You know, I, I can't mm -hmm. even really write an op-ed piece I sent to Abe Madcourt two years ago that he ran in SBJ that just basically was on this theme. And that's when Len said, well, do you want to think about some executive coaching? Um, so, so... So sort of from a human development side, I'd like to see that. And then I think, you know, 
really watching, you know, you know, really where the technology is going to take and, and probably the glo the globalization of of uh, of sport is, is you know you know whether it's soccer or or what other activity you know mm -hmm. it's expansion of whether it's the NFL or the NBA or what have you okay and then the last two questions are how do you stay constant with everything that's going on and then most importantly where can people kind of track your whereabouts on social or how, how do they kind of follow what, what Tony Pontoro is doing? Well, I, you know, I, I, I try to stay, I mean, my first three things I do in the morning and I was a person who probably had to realize there was, you know, you know, the transition from, you know, I still tell, watch television and read papers and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I, I will absorb, you know, just branding, but to be honest, you know, I, I will absorb, you know, Google News and ESPN Sports and the, and the Twitter feeds of the people I follow, mm -hmm. probably within the first hour, drinking coffee. It's almost, you know, let me absorb what's going on. Mm -hmm. so, so, I, so I sort of understand the voices, the information, um, and, and, and try to stay relevant that way. Yep. Um, I still will sit down with people. Um, I, I'm very... Um, uh, surprised sometimes, appreciative uh, that I still will have people say, "Can we have lunch and just just talk about the career?" and mm -hmm. and and also as much listen from them. Um, I'm not a big to your second question. Uh, I, I do have a Twitter feed at at Pontoro. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't send out as much as I should, um, but but it is there, and I try to I retreat retreat. Joe mm -hmm. from time to time, um, but um, you know, and 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 learn, you know, one of the things I'm excited about the Columbia experience is, 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 I will learn as much from the students working with them as they will learn from me. For sure, you know, and that's that's the thing is you know keeping your keeping your ear to the ground, staying relevant. <laughs> so anyway, well, it's been a great. 45 minute, right, Tom? We learned about 45 minutes. Did I do it's like two ahead. shows? That was uh, no, good, actually. Um, you know, 45 minute, but 30 plus year journey to get us right now. So Tony Ponturo now back here on campus, uh, you know, obviously advising a lot of people on kind of what's coming next. And it's great following you and having been around you for, for quite a while. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate the time. Cool. Once again, this was the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show. I'm Joe Favorito for my co-host Tom Richardson, and we'll see you down the road.